Good evening. It's good to be back. <laughs> back from the land of Canada. They didn't want to let us leave. I guess they liked us so much up there. So um, we're glad to be back, though, and glad to finally be back here in the pulpit tonight. Uh, sorry we had all the things that we had to do Sunday when scrambling there. Thanks for Pastor Matt for filling in uh, for me. But glad that you're here with us online. Glad those of you who are here uh, in person. Let me just remind you of those ways that you can watch us there on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, at HBC Tullahoma, uh, on uh, YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma. We also have an Instagram page, so be sure to check that out also. And then we have our phone live streaming. We don't live broadcast on Instagram, but we do on the others. Uh, phone live streaming number there. You can call our church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Our church office number is 931-455-0645. We'll be glad to give you that number uh, for our phone live streaming uh, and a great resource there that a number of people use. And so we praise the Lord for that opportunity. Uh, if you're there at home, also go to our church website at Highland Baptist Church. Dot com. Uh, just go over a couple of tabs to so the info tab. It's there that you can download the worship bulletin. So I encourage you to do that. If you're here in person, there in this windowsill, I think all these are gone from over here. Uh, but you can also download uh, the children's worship bulletins that are there under that info tab. Uh, they go along with the messages for Sunday. And then also we have the prayer list there. So be sure to go ahead and get your prayer list downloaded so that when we get to that point, uh, you'll be ready to follow along with us here in person. If you're here in person and you need one, uh, I think we have those on the front pew on this side. Uh, so somebody will be glad to come around and give you one uh, and just look as people come in to make sure uh, they get one. Uh, so if you're there on YouTube or any of the platforms, be sure to share on Facebook your requests. That's what we'll be watching live for prayer requests. Uh, and then also, uh, if you don't want to put it there on Facebook, you can send it to us in an email at HighlandBaptistTullahoma at gmail.com or HighlandBaptist at cafes.net, either one of those. And I do have two of our numbers charts left. I do. I found some, a couple of more of those, and I do have some more of the, the, uh, uh, the charts here that we have on the prophecy charts uh, that come from Dr. David Jeremiah. encourage you to get one of those. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit while later when we get into our sermon. Uh, but encourage you to get one of those from me if you want one of those in person. We will be talking about some numbers coming up soon uh, in some of the messages. So I think that's it until we get to our prayer requests. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our song. What number were you playing? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Take your hymnals and turn to uh, 56. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. 56. We'll sing all three of the verses.
Thank you, Miss Pat. Uh, hopefully, if you're at home there, you've got your prayer list downloaded. I'm going to take just a moment to switch over to Facebook so that I can follow along with any prayer requests uh, that might be there as you are. There we go. All right, so be sure to comment there. Be sure to heart, like, uh, post, share those posts. Uh, also to subscribe there uh, on YouTube. Let me just go ahead and take a look at the prayer list here, if you will and begin to uh, uh, go through some of these. One, one thing I do want to say is thank you so much for your prayers for us while we were in Canada, uh, ministering there to mostly to you, children and their families as we did uh, several different children's camps. We helped with a, a uh, block party with one church. We'll be sharing some more about all of that and what God allowed us to be a part of and doing there. Uh, but it was just a great experience, a wide variety of, of ethnicities that we even uh, got to be a part of in their families and in their lives, also helping uh, another group who had gone up from Kentucky uh, to help them do some of the projects they were doing with uh, the children. And so uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for prayers on the way up and our safety on the way back. We don't know why our are ultimately why it got canceled, other than that we knew it was weather that morning on Sunday on Saturday night, Saturday, and then there was weather again later that afternoon. And pilots and crew can only work 18 hours. They're kind of like truckers, uh, in a sense. They can only drive so long. Uh, they, by law, uh, the, the uh, industry uh, restricts them from going too long. So when they knew they had had to cancel uh, or was had to delay our flight a couple of times, they moved that crew to a different flight and went ahead and canceled. Uh, our flight because it would be longer than they could they could work and so couldn't get another crew to do that it was just a flight that goes from chicago to calgary and back is all it does uh, but that one flight is what caused a lot of our our problems and our cancellation there but fortunately the airlines took care of a lot of those costs and things so that was a great blessing for us and so we just praise the lord uh, for that and for all that you did and praying for us uh, while we were there uh, let me just go through and give you a couple of updates uh, real quickly Kleenex. My glasses are blurry. Um, let me just say that uh, Paco Prince, he was uh, here, uh, from what I understand, this past Sunday, doing much better, and we just praise the Lord for that. Still has a ways to go with his healing there, uh, so do continue to keep him and Leah and the family uh, in your prayers. Uh, just praise the Lord that it wasn't worse than what it was, uh, but uh, still with even as bad as it is, he still has a ways to go. Uh, with this healing process there, but he is on the mend with that. So we just thank you for your prayers uh, for him. I uh, did see Cindy Ingram this past week, and she is doing uh, much better. Uh, and so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, and then going on down the list, Amy Jackson, she is still having to wear a boot on that ankle and will have to for uh, a little while longer. 
Um, Beth Kidd, she had some tests uh, that she had to have done, uh, and everything came back good on her report, so we just praise the Lord uh, for that also. And then Nathan Miller had surgery this morning uh, to remove his tonsils, and everything went great uh, on that, or yesterday, and then uh, this morning, and they released him uh, from the hospital, and so uh, he, there, he's at home now, uh, can eat all the ice cream he wants. <laughs> so that was the good thing about getting your tonsils taken out. You could eat popsicles and ice cream. <laughs> at least I remember that. Um, we do want to remember Tommy and Brenda and their family uh, in the passing of Andrew. And just for those of you who may be watching online that you didn't maybe get the phone call out, we would encourage you to, to uh, call the church office. We'll be glad to fill out the form for you for the communications uh, and how we do that. We send out prayer requests on that line. Uh, so uh, anytime there's a need of prayer, uh, but the, the uh, funeral proceedings will be tomorrow. The visitation will be 5 to 7, and uh, the service will be at 7 tomorrow evening. And so it'll be a celebration of life, and just want to encourage you to come, if you can, to Kilgore Funeral Home uh, is where it'll be at and uh, as we celebrate the life of Andrew Griffin there. So keep that family uh, in your prayers. As you move down to the nursing home assisted living list, the only update that I have there uh, is that Linda Ray was not, we had her, I think, on the NHC list there. She did not get into NHC. They didn't have a room for her. They put her in life care, but Pat was telling me she just talked with her or got a message from her just a few minutes before service uh, that her heart had started racing uh, again, and so they've had to take her back to Harton uh, to, to do some tests and see what's going on uh, with her heart. Uh, there are some that are on the uh, friends and family side. Uh, just to give you an update on, on Audrey, who is our granddaughter, uh, she has the cast off, still has to wear a brace for uh, two weeks. So I think she has about a week and a half left on that, but she's doing really good with that. She was glad to get it off where she could do a little more uh, drawing and stuff, even with the splint that she still has to wear. Uh, and then uh, Angela Miller, from what I'm understanding, is doing better uh, also from her appendix uh, procedure she had to have done. And then uh, remember the family also of, of uh, Bob Foglia uh, in the loss of uh, passing of his son. I uh, want to remember them in prayer. His son lived in Texas, uh, and he had had renal failure for a few years um, and had a heart attack right shortly before we went to Calgary. I think we mentioned it the Wednesday night before. Uh, but, and they thought things looked hopeful, but then uh, things turned for the worse. He was 50 years old. And so just want to remember uh, him and his, remember his family uh, in your prayers. Uh, I've not heard an update. Maybe you can share with us, Miss Linda, on Libby on Libby Kine, on Rick's mom. I know she's with hospice, but just hanging in. Okay. And so just remember Rick, Rick Miller's mom, uh, Libby Kine, who's on the prayer list. She had a major stroke. And then also the family of Nellie uh, Wasilowski, I guess is how you say it. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce her name. That is Joe Bates' sister uh, who passed away. And just remember Joe Bates and her family uh, in your prayer with that. Any others that we need to update that are on the prayer list? I will tell you, Rhonda Morris, she finished her uh, radiation treatment. She started today her chemo treatment. So do be in prayer for her as she goes through uh, the chemo treatments. The radiation was 10 days of treatments, and she's finished that. And now it's on to the chemo uh, for her cancer. So keep her in your prayer. Anybody else that we need to mention?
So Beverly Daniels, she's on our prayer list on the HBC family side. Uh, she's doing pretty well, but is still staying at home uh, with all the issues that continue to go around. So uh, do keep her in your prayers still, but uh, she seems to be doing fairly well too. Anyone else? Anybody online there? If you're online, be sure to comment there and let us know. Uh, any prayer requests that you want to add? If we don't get it right now, we'll get it at the very end. We'll go back to look and make sure if there's any requests uh, that are there. Anybody else? Any updates? Any praise reports? <laughs> we'll take praise reports any day. We have so much bad news all the time. <laughs> yes, a celebrated birthday tomorrow. Thank you for reminding me of that, Stephen. <laughs> uh, getting closer to the 60, huh? That, yeah, that, it would have to be because it'd have to be actually less than 29 because my mom is at 29 and holding. <laughs> and has been for a number of years. <laughs> Anybody else? I'm double checking over the list, making sure if I see anybody that pops out to me, but I don't. But we do want to remember the people, and uh, I know there was a lot who were affected by flooding in St. Louis. Um, uh, we've, I've seen some of the damage there and, and stuff, so be in prayer for those people, because uh, it even continued to rain through this morning, uh, our daughter had shared with us. And I think they, there was at one time there, they had over seven inches in six hours. Of rain, so a lot of water. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. We'll uplift these prayer requests, and again, if you have a request, put it on Facebook. We'll come back to it at the very end. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care for us. You are an all-powerful and an almighty God. There is nothing that is beyond your ability to take care of. Thank you, God, that you are the God who sees, that you see everything in our hearts and in our lives. You see the troubles that we go through. You are the great healer. And, and so, Father, we come before you as you have all power and you are our provider who provides for us. We give you the glory and the honor for who you are and for all that you have done for us. And we humbly come before you knowing, Lord, that we don't have any standing before you other than the standing we have in the precious blood of Jesus Christ and trusting in him as our Lord and our Savior. It is only by that that we are able to come before your throne of grace and to pour our hearts out before you and to ask you to hear our prayers. So we come tonight, Lord, just asking you to hear our prayers uh, as we intercede on the behalf of others. Uh, Lord, before we even do that, we want to ask, Lord, that you would cleanse us and forgive us of any sin in our hearts, whether it's in our actions, whether it's in our, our thoughts, whether it's in uh, things we didn't do that we should have done, or maybe in the way we did things that we shouldn't have done. Father, I pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us. And Lord, where we are resistant to that, Lord, do whatever it takes to bring us to the place that we come to be broken before you and humbled before you. Father, we pray for your spirit to be poured out upon our church. You are a holy and a righteous God as well as a loving and a merciful God. And so, Father, I pray that as we come before your holiness, we recognize our sinfulness and we ask God for your cleansing by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We also recognize, Lord, that you are a loving God and we ask you to fill our hearts more and more 
more with your presence because your presence is love. It is perfect love. And the more we have of you in our hearts, the more we're overflowing with that love, the more people around us begin to see our love for one another. They will see our love for you and for them. And, and Father, I pray that you will use our very lives, the words we speak, the things we do as a testimony to the world and the nations around us. Lord, you have commanded us to go to the nations, whether that's here uh, locally uh, that we're to go to our Jerusalem or even to Judea or Samaria or even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And yet sometimes, Lord, we have not done that. And so what we see, Lord, so often more and more is you're bringing the nations to us. So help us, Lord, to look at the nations around us as you look at them, to see them as broken and needing a Savior, to see those who are without Christ as lost on a path that will send them to hell. Uh, unless somebody intervenes, as you have called and commanded us to do, to share the good news of the gospel, because you've told us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So help us, Lord, to share the truth of the gospel message with those around us, whether they accept it or not to at least have done our responsibility in sharing that good news of, of the grace of Jesus Christ with them. Father, I pray that you will use seeds that were planted this past week in Calgary, seeds that we have shared even in our workplaces this week at school in, in the community around us and even on our vacations, wherever we might have been in this past week, that people have seen us, that they have maybe seen the way we behaved or the way we acted uh, towards others and how we handled situations, and, and that even those things were maybe a witness to those individuals. Uh, Father, that you begin to use those things to stir their hearts, uh, to maybe even begin to question, why are those people like that? What's different? What's missing in my life? And Father, I pray that you'll bring people across their path also uh, who will plant another seed, others who will uh, pour the water on those seeds, and, and that, Lord, you would be the one who would give the increase. Father, we expectantly look forward to great and mighty things you're going to do in the days ahead in our church here. And so we just humbly come before you and ask for your will to be done. Lord, each and every one of these people that we mentioned tonight, others that we haven't mentioned, but they're on this list, and others yet, Lord, who may be unspoken requests. Lord, I pray that you would hear our hearts cry for each and every one of these people. Uh, Lord, there may be those who are commenting now on Facebook or other places even. Lord, maybe they didn't even put that request out there uh, because they didn't think maybe it was significant enough. Lord, you know it's significant enough, and I just pray that as you hear that request in those individuals hearts that may be watching at home father i pray that you'll hear their prayer their cry on behalf of others lord we pray for you to intervene in each one of these people's lives show your power and your glory and your majesty as you are the great healer we place them into your hands and we ask for healing for their bodies healing for their minds healing for their souls and we just pray god that you will just pour out your spirit upon them your blessings upon them your mercy and your grace uh, lord specifically your grace and that you've told us that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. And so, Father, I pray that you'll pour out your grace on each one of these people. Lord, help them to recover. And as they see that miracle happen in their lives, Lord, may they recognize and realize where that miracle come from, that it comes from you. And, Father, I pray that they will give you the glory. Lord, that you'll use us and others in their lives uh, to encourage them towards faith in Christ if they don't know Christ. And if they do know Christ, that they 
they would be faithful even in the valleys that they're going through. Uh, Father, uh, we just pray for your will to be done in each one of these lives. Be with the families, Lord, of those who have lost loved ones. And we know that you have told us in your word that you have sent the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, to bring comfort and peace to our hearts, especially in times like that. And so, Father, we pray that you'll be with each one of these who have lost loved ones and bring that peace in their hearts that passes all understanding. Lord, walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death, that they would fear no evil. Lord, that they would trust in you and you would be their rock, uh, you would be their sustainer, you would be their source of strength for the days ahead. Lord, we pray your blessings upon those families. Lord, others who have tests and upcoming procedures, we just pray, God, that you will see them through faithfully. And those, Lord, that we've given report and praise tonight of how you have brought them through their surgeries and through their situations. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for doing that. Lord, may we testify of all that you are doing that all men will be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, bless your word tonight as we come back to Matthew 24 and 25. And I pray, Lord, that as we finish this particular passage is up, that it will help us as we continue back to the book of Revelation and uh, in, in seeing the light of the book of Revelation in, in a new light even uh, and, and more clearly in your plan for uh, this world in the future days. Lord, that we would be more urgent and more faithful about sharing the gospel and living it out before us. And Lord, that even when we see troubles and trials and tribulations now, that we will take encouragement from what we're learning about tonight, that we would not be troubled because you are still on your throne. You are still in control. So lead us through your word tonight. Bless us with that threefold blessing of the book of Revelation, that those who read it, those who hear it, and those who keep it will be blessed. We claim that and we ask, Lord, for your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We got through some of this in the video message uh, that I gave you last week, and hopefully that all uh, went well and you were able to at least hear uh, everything uh, with that. Uh, but I just wanted to go back real quickly to point two and start from there, leading us up to where we left off uh, the last time. So that point two in the message last week was do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Uh, he gives us a picture. He gives us a prophecy. Uh, and we talked about why do we study the prophecy? Why should we listen to what Jesus says about what lies ahead in the future? Uh, because one thing, it keeps us from uh, tripping over to the deception of the enemy and falling into his deadly snares. Uh, he's given us the truth in those prophetic passages uh, to lead us and to guide us. Uh, and, and so uh, we need to be sure that we are looking at things uh, through that light. What we need is perspective. We need God's perspective about the future. The disciples, as we read there at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1 and verse 2, they were sitting around. Uh, they were talking. They were having questions themselves. Uh, after Jesus had left the temple, uh, verse 1 said in chapter 24, uh, he was going away. Uh, when his disciples came to the point to point out to him the buildings of the temple, uh, and he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that began to throw them into a tizzy in their, in their hearts and in uh, their minds. And uh, what does he mean by this? Uh, this temple uh, is going to come down? I mean, uh, that, that's a, part, a central part of who we are. 
And so that began to trouble their hearts. And so when you get to verse 3, he's up on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to him and they say to us, say to him, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so we saw there that he was asking, uh, he, he began with some questions. The disciples' first question was when, when will these things be? The second question was what? What will be the sign of your coming? And the third question was another what? What will be the sign of the end, uh, the signs of the end uh, of the age? And so Jesus takes some time throughout the rest of chapter 24 there to answer those questions uh, in detail as he unfolds those truths. He talks about one of the signs, the sign of deception. And he warns there that even the very elect, those who are chosen, those who are seeking to follow uh, God uh, could possibly even be uh, deceived. He talks about the sign of the disputes among the nations. They're going to hear of wars and they're going to hear of rumors of wars. Nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom is going to rise against kingdom. And Jesus said, when you see those things begin to escalate, have we seen wars between nations and kingdoms? Of course. All throughout the history uh, that we can look back, we've seen that over and over and over again. But what we're seeing here and what Jesus is talking about is an escalation of that, an escalation of wars, an escalation of dissension among groups uh, as a clear signal of the forthcoming return uh, to the, uh, to, of his coming back to the earth. We see also he lays out the sign of devastation. He warns that there's going to be famines, there's going to be pestilences, there's going to be earthquakes in various places. And we talked about uh, some of those statistics and how those things have seemed to be on the increase uh, over the years. And, and when Jesus talks about all of that, he says, go down to verse 6, he says, and you will hear of rumors of wars, or you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. He says, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. He's saying there, uh, don't be troubled. And so when we read that, and when his disciples heard that, they're thinking, what? Not be troubled. You're talking about wars. You're talking about kingdom against kingdom. You're talking about famines and pestilence and earthquakes on a scale the world has never seen before. And you're telling us, don't be troubled? I mean, wouldn't we be troubled? Are you kidding? How could we keep from being alarmed and, and troubled by all of those devastations uh, that happen? And Jesus was telling his disciples that all of those things, all of those rumblings and shakings are just a signaling of the beginning of the end. The end is not yet, but it is in sight. And what we can even see today is that day by day by day, it is drawing closer. Here is one of two truths that you need to understand in your heart and your life today. One truth is, is that you are closer to death than you've ever been before, than from the moment you were born. So you have a responsibility knowing that, that, that I could die at any moment. Uh, I'm fixing to have a birthday this week, fixing to turn 55. Uh, you know, getting closer. You, you're, way past, you're already past the, the halfway mark. You're on the downhill slide at this point. And, and so you're thinking, you know, I've only got so much time that's allotted to any of us. How many of us are going to live to be 100 or 120? Very, very, very few. So what time do I have left on this earth? Every single one of us. 
From the moment we're a baby and we're born in this earth, every day from that moment on, we are getting closer and closer to death than we've ever been before. The second truth that we need to realize is that we are closer than ever before to the second coming of Jesus than we've ever been before. We're closer than the disciples were in his day. We were closer, we're closer than the early church was in their day. We're closer than the Reformation was in their day. We are closer today to the second coming of Jesus Christ than we've ever been before. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to realize and us to realize the end is not yet, but it is in sight. And day by day, it's drawing closer. And so he lays out a parable for them in verse 32 and verse 33, uh, where he gives this parable of the fig tree. Uh, so let me just read these couple of verses. I don't even remember if I have these for on the screen for tonight. Uh, but it says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about in terms of what everyone would know in an agricultural perspective, in a gardening perspective, in growing flowers or growing trees. When you begin to see those trees begin to bud forth, the fig tree that he's talking about in particular here in Israel, when you begin to see those buds begin to come out on each one of those branches, you know that leaves are fixing to come out of those. You know that, that flowers are going to come out on some and fruit is going to come out in some of those places. And, and so what he's saying is you know that spring is here. You know that summer is, is coming. And that's what he says in that verse. He says you know that summer is near. You know that it's coming. He says just like that, verse 33, so also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. So the signs that we see that he just described, the rumors of wars and the wars that are happening, the pestilences, the plagues, the earthquakes, when you begin to see those things increase, you know he's just about knocking on the door. It's just about to happen. And, and notice these end time events, they won't happen in just a day. It's going to be something that's going to build up uh, over time and unfold, maybe even over months or years. We are in right now that phase, that midst of the building up phase, even at this very moment. And then he, after he gives this parable of the fig tree, he says in, in, in the next verses, he gives this picture. He encourages us to learn from the fig tree, that when it puts forth its tender and, and branches and its leaves, those buds, and it puts forth its leaves. We know that summer's on the way. If the Lord had chosen to live in another part of the world, he would have used some other uh, plant, some other tree uh, to give us uh, that illustration, to give us that emphasis, to tell us that his coming would be near. First Thessalonians 5 verse 3 says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so he talks there and using that illustration that, that those initial stirrings are really more uncomfortable than painful. Uh, a woman may feel such pains and, and then not feel another one for 20, 30 minutes or more. Uh, but then as birth gets closer, what happens? Those labor pains get closer and closer and closer and closer. 
And that's what he's, he's, he's referring to here. Uh, he, he's talking about uh, in, in that emphasis. So as birth approaches, the pain gets a little more intense and a little more intense. And he said in verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, there are some who look at that verse and they say, aha, Look at what it says in verse 34. This generation will not pass away. That he's talking about those disciples. Well, those disciples have died off the scene, so he really wasn't coming. If he was, was going to come, he would have came before they passed off the scene. Who's he talking about in this generation will not pass away? It's the generation that he just got through describing that will be in those last days. Those who are seeing that, that bud come out on the, on the fig tree. Those who are seeing uh, these prophecies that he laid out for us in verses 15 all the way down through verse 31. And so he begins to give us uh, that picture there uh, of, of when he's coming and that we need to look at the signs uh, of the second coming. And then he gives us and tells us that we need a perspective. Uh, notice the rebellion that happens uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 through verse 3. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits <coughs> and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He also said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 5 about the last days. He said, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self um, more than uh, lovers uh, of, of God. Uh, and, and so he begins to uh, lay this out for them and says uh, that, that there's going to be those who are going to be proud. There's going to be those who are arrogant, unappeasable. There's going to be slanderers. Uh, there's going to be those without self-control. Uh, there are going to be people who are brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says all of those things are going to be pictures of what's happening in the last days, in the last times. What that tells me is there are some who believe that as we get closer to the last days, it's going to get better and better. But the Bible lays out an opposite picture. It's going to get worse and worse. Uh, you think about this, and so he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We already see that happening today. But what we're going to see in the last days is going to be escalated even more. So what's happening today is only laying the groundwork for the days ahead. And so what Paul predicted to Timothy has already happened, the rebellion there. And then we see in the beginning processes here. Then we see removal. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. What is Paul talking about there? Probably more accurately, who is he talking about? Because notice, what is this restraining? 
It's an invisible. Let me read that verse again for you. Only he who now restrains it <coughs> will do so until he is out of the way. Second Thessalonians 2.7. You could look that up if you want. What this is that he's describing is an invisible force holding back the gathered might of evil. <coughs> that as bad as it is in our world today, uh, he, is, he is holding back uh, this, this evil that it, it could get worse and it will get worse. The restraining influence in our world holds back this evil, holds back the satanic tide uh, of perversion and lawlessness and keeps it in check. Because notice, remember where we are here in these verses. We're talking here about the judgment uh, that, that, that's coming on people from Satan. Uh, not not God at this time. And, and so this restraining influence here, who has the power to restrain Satan? Only God. And it's God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who draws that line today, who, who keeps the, the tide of evil at, at bay. And so when will that restraining influence cease that Paul talks about? When the Holy Spirit no longer has the ministry that he has now. When will that happen? Where, where does the Holy Spirit live right now? In us. When the church is removed, the Holy Spirit is removed. And when the Holy Spirit, when the rapture comes, all the believers are swept up into heaven, the Holy Spirit will no longer have a resident ministry on this earth, and the tide of the floodgates will be open, and evil will prevail and run throughout the land. If you think things are dark now, if you think things are bad now, just to try to imagine the way it's going to be when all the restraints are suddenly removed. Sin and death and hatred and perver perversion, all of that is going to rush in to fill the vacuum left by the departure of the church and the presence of the Spirit. When that occurs, the great tribulation isn't far behind. How soon? Who knows? The next sound we could hear could very well be the trumpet call of God. And so then before we can even take a breath or, or blink our eyes, we'll be racing together through the stratosphere to meet the Lord in the air. But also notice the revelation. The third thing Paul said would have to happen is the revelation, the revelation of the lawless one. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Who is that lawless one? Well, it's the one we're reading about over in the book of Revelation. Who's the Antichrist? The Bible tells us clearly that before the day of the Lord arrives and the tribulation sweeps across our world, many in the church are going to turn away from the truth. The rapture of the church will take place, and this one called the Antichrist will be revealed. That's where we finish the last time. Here's the next part that we need to get, and that's the prescription. Do you see how the Word of God can, can, keep, uh, can help you keep your perspective? Here's what Paul goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. He says, so then, brothers, because of what I've told you about the end times coming, he says, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter, by the word of God that we have in our hands today. Great counsel. 
In other words, don't go running after some new doctrine, uh, some unusual teaching. That's not the time to explore some, some new ideas of theology. Uh, if we've been instructed in the truth and we know the Word of God, it's time to dig into the Word of God even deeper. Stand fast in the truth that you know. He also says, hold on. Uh, this is not a time to be discouraged or, or buried under the circumstances, to think, oh, my gosh, it's over. I have no hope. If, if reading the news and watching the news in the morning discourages you, stay away from it. Read the Word of God. Instead, save all that bad news for a time when you can prepare for it and then recover from it. The, the news isn't good these days. And if you think about it much, it can drag you down. But in the midst of all of that, there is Jesus so keep working hard. It's not a time to sit around. We're just going to sit and wait to hear the trumpet and, and watch Jesus come. It's a time to be busy for God. Use the power and the energy and the gifting that, that he gives you in the time that you have left. Maximize that time. Cash in on those opportunities. One of the most simple objectives of Christians isn't just to go to heaven, but to take as many people as we can with us. Share the gospel teach children, build up the weak, strengthen the faltering, encourage the fallen, and reach a, uh, reach a strong hand to those who are hurting. In other words, keep on working till Jesus comes or till you draw your last dying breath. The third thing he says is don't be ensnared. Jesus warns about a cavalier attitude. So notice verse 37 and 38. So verse 37 says, well, let's just look at verse 36 real quickly. I don't know that this is on the screen, but 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, not even Jesus, but the Father only. So it's the Father who's the only one who knows the day, the hour, the minute, the moment when all of this is going to happen. But notice verse 37 for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You want to know what it's going to be like when the coming of the Son of Man comes again? Think back and read back in the book of Genesis about Noah and Noah's days. Verse 38 says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware... Until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now what does he mean there that they were unaware? Did they not know that something was going to happen? They knew because if you go back to the book of Genesis, Noah had been preaching to them. For about a hundred, over a hundred years, he had been preaching to them, God's judgment is coming, God's judgment is coming, repent, repent, turn and follow him. Get in this ark with us and trust in God. But nobody would listen. They kept on drinking. They kept on eating. Jesus warns us against having a cavalier attitude. He says when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like it was before the flood. What was it like then? Well, Genesis 6 verse 5 tells us that when the Lord looked down upon his creation, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. Wickedness is going to be great. And that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. 24-7, 365 days a year. Contrary to the fondest hopes 
of the evolutionists, this world isn't getting better and better. In fact, it's precisely just the opposite. Understand that the growing evil on the planet is not what the Lord was talking about when he spoke of the eating and drinking that went on before the flood. Uh, What about the phrase that says they were marrying and giving in marriage? That sounds almost wholesome. But Jesus isn't speaking primarily of humanity's evil activities in this passage. His message is rather that people across this world in that day were caught up in what they were doing, the ordinary things of life. They were cooking meals. They were drawing water from their wells. They were celebrating weddings. They were taking life as it was day by day. They were completely ignoring the warnings of Noah. Remember how long Noah preached? 120 years. It's a long time to preach one message. And how many different ways can you say it's going to rain? How many different ways could you say God's judgment is coming? But the message he brought faithfully, repeatedly, passionately, uh, that's what this preacher of righteousness, Noah, did. And everybody just passed it off with a smile, a shrug of the shoulders, a shaking of the hand. We've never seen it rain before. We've never seen this before. You're crazy, Noah. This isn't going to happen. And rather than turning to God in repentance, the population drifted along with the prevailing culture, the prevalent attitudes. And the Bible tells us that is the way it's going to be before Jesus comes again. Sounds a lot like where we are even today, doesn't it? Nobody has time for prophecy. Nobody has time to talk about the second coming. So just like in Noah's day, people move through life with a cavalier attitude, not heeding what God is saying. They, they look forward to the future and they don't take heed of God's warnings. They live in the same way as they've always lived. And people of Noah's day ignored and even ridiculed his warning. He preached for that 120 years and not one single person outside his immediate family believed him. I'll tell you, there's going to be some times where you're telling people about the gospel message. You're telling people about what's coming and not one single person is going to listen to you. Think about some of the great missionaries who labored in the mission field for years and decades even and never saw one person come to faith in Christ. Here was Noah who preached and he preached and he preached And he gave invitation after invitation. And then the last day of opportunity passed by. And somewhere, someone felt the first raindrop that ever fell. And then the heavens opened. And the fountains of the great deep broke loose. And God closed the door of the ark. And when God closed the door, there wasn't any more opportunity. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3. And verse 3, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? People say that even today. For ever since his fathers, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They look back at time and they say, look, nothing's ever changed. He hasn't come yet. Your people are crazy to think this Jesus is coming again. It says, for they deliberately, in verse 5, overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the word, the by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But they went on about their carefree attitude. Jesus warns against a careless 
attitude. Notice verse 42. Verse 42 through verse 44. He, he had already laid out that illustration, if you read back through that, that two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. The two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. They'll be just doing the normal everyday things when it comes, when it happens. And verse 42 says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. He says, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So Jesus doesn't say that he's like a thief, but he uses that method of a thief as an illustration to make his point. Second Peter 3.10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Uh, and, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Uh, Revelation 3.3 3 says, Remember then that you, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Revelation 16.15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. What is Jesus saying? I believe the message is simply this. Just because you don't see this taking place right now under your nose, don't become so careless in your attitude. Jesus warns uh, against an approach that says, I haven't been robbed this year, so I'm turning off my alarm. I'm leaving my doors unlocked. I'm not collecting the newspapers from my driveway. Nobody's ever robbed me. Nobody's ever going to rob my neighbors. It won't happen to me. When you start getting to that place, what happens? The robber comes. That's what Jesus is saying. He's warning against that careless, reckless, self-deceptive attitude that keeps insisting, it can't happen to me. Yes, it can. Jesus Christ will return without any announcement. And one day God will say, that's enough. And his judgment that we're reading about in Revelation will fall on this earth and upon all who have rejected Jesus as his son. And Jesus warns against a callous attitude in verse 45 to verse 51. He says in verse 45, he says in verse 45, he says, who then is faithful? And wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, he's probably not even coming. He begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come upon a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is the weeping and gnashing of teeth a description of? Hell. Because that person never knew Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So he tells this story to make his point clear. He describes these two servants who, who work for an absentee master. One's a good servant. He's faithful. The other is, is evil and faithless. The first one represents those believers who will be on the earth before the Lord's return, while the other represents those who are unbelievers. Uh, and, and the Lord declares that every person in the world holds his life, his possessions, and his abilities in trust from God. And every individual is going to be held accountable for, for, before the Lord. Lord for what he has done with what he has been given 
and what he has not done with what he's been given. And so the evil servant displays the dominant attitude of a callous procrastination. He doesn't really believe his master will come back anytime soon. When we get to that place as believers, we become callous and we don't believe Jesus is coming back soon. That's a dangerous place for us to be. Jesus' word of warning to him is he better be careful because he doesn't know heaven's timetable. And then chapter 25 is about the king who's coming. As you know, certainly, you can't always believe everything you read in the news or, or even on the Internet. I came across some headlines that I saw that said, here was the headline of one that said, Army vehicle disappears after being painted camouflage. Man accused of killing lawyer receives new attorney. This is one Miss Ippy's literacy program shows improvement. They misspelled Mississippi left out the two S's. This is another headline. Homicide victims rarely talk to police. Utah Poison Control Center reminds everyone not to take poison. Most earthquake damage is caused by shaking. That's another headline. Another headline. Federal agents raid gun shop find weapons. (laughs) What are you going to find at a gun shop? What if the newspapers read this headline? Jesus is coming again. The greatest thing, the greatest prophetic event of the ages, the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are many things that are important in the Bible, uh, such as the new birth, but it's only mentioned nine times. As Baptists, we believe baptism is important, but baptism is only mentioned 20 times. You can't be saved apart from repentance, but repentance is mentioned 70 times. Here's one that's astounding, though. One out of every 25 verses, uh, the Word of God says, Jesus Christ is coming again. One of the last parables that Jesus ever told was just before he went to the cross to die for our sins. It's interesting to know that the two last parables Jesus ever told concerned his second coming. Jesus not only had the sins of the world on his mind, but but before he he went to the cross, he had his second coming uh, on on his mind also. Just like he was serious about the second coming, we ought to be as well. And so in this parable, he gives us three quick pieces of advice as as we're to get ready for the bridegroom uh, when he comes uh, for his bride. Here's the first point he gives us, be wise. Verse 1 through verse 6. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. He says five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So everybody, all of the, all ten of them. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And so to understand this parable, which is about a wedding, you have to understand a Jewish wedding. The Jewish wedding consisted of three parts. The first part was engagement. Uh, Marriages often were arranged by the fathers of the bride and the groom. The groom's family uh, provided a dowry to the bride's father, uh, and and the money was put in trust to be used by the bride in the event of the loss of her husband, whether it was through divorce or death. The engagement amounted to a contract of marriage in which a couple had little, if any, direct involvement. The second stage is what was called in the Bible betrothal. 
Uh, this was actual, an actual marriage ceremony where the bride and the groom exchanged vows before the family and friends, and, and the marriage was considered to be official. Now, the betrothal, it could last for many months, sometimes up to a year. But as far as society and the law was concerned, at that point, at the betrothal, the couple was married. You think back to Mary and Joseph. They, it was, she was a spouse. She was betrothed to be. It was already happened. They were, and that's why it was such a big deal when he found out she was pregnant and he wasn't the one who had gotten her pregnant. And, and so the third step was the wedding feast. At, at a certain time, the bridegroom accompanied uh, the, uh, the the bridegroom uh, accompanied by his attendants. They would proceed through the streets. Usually, it was at night uh, to the bride's home to claim the bride. And together, the bride and groom then and their attendants, they would parade through the streets proclaiming the wedding feast was about to begin. They would go back to the groom's house for the wedding feast and the physical consummation of the marriage. And the procession was usually at night. Lamps or torches were used by the wedding party to light their way to attract the attention of of watchers that a wedding feast was taking place. It was this third phase of the wedding, of the marriage, that this parable is speaking of. Because a wedding in that day had those parts. We've already said the bridegroom and the friends would go to his house, claim the bride for, for her, from her house, and then the, bridegroom, uh, the bride and the groom, would, with their attendants, would go back to the groom's house. Now, this wedding would normally begin in the evening, and it would last up to a week. These days, you couldn't afford a wedding that would last much more than just a couple of hours. But the bridegroom, the bride knew that from the time of the betrothal, that the bridegroom was going to be coming for her. But she never knew exactly when he would come for her. So her and her attendants had to always be watching, ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Since it was usually at night, the bride and her attendants were to make sure we've got some lamps, we've got some torches, not only to light the way back to the bridegroom's house, but also to identify we're part of the members uh, of the wedding party. And as the groom would approach the bride's house, there would usually be, uh, usually first of all would be a shout like we read in in verse 6. There would be this cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And that would be followed by the sound of a trumpet. And then everyone would know that the bridegroom had come. Here's the point of that parable so far. Everyone involved knew that the bridegroom was coming. They had one simple job. Their job was be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. They were to be wise so they would meet the coming of the bridegroom. They were to be watchful, verse 7 through verse 10. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Notice that everyone was expected to trim their lamps. Now, do you know what that is? Trimming your lamp. You got the wick in there and and you trim your lamp back. You want to keep that burning as long as possible. So when lit, they would burn brightly, but they had to have additional oil to put in them to keep them burning also. And so everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own lamp. They were, it was assumed uh, that you would, you would bring some extra with you. If you were, didn't have a lamp, 
then you were assumed to be a party crasher, a wedding crasher, if you will. It was assumed that you weren't part of the wedding party and you wouldn't be allowed to come to the feast. So you begin to see the difference between the foolish bridesmaids and the wise bridesmaids. The wise were prepared, the foolish were not. And it wasn't that the foolish bridesmaids weren't aware that the bridegroom was coming. They knew it just like everybody else did. And every one of them fell asleep. They knew it, everyone as well. It wasn't that they weren't unaware of their lack of oil. The problem was they weren't concerned enough about being prepared uh, or being about being unprepared to do something about it before it was too late. And so maybe they thought, we can just run down to the oil shop and, and get us some oil before the shops were closed. But this is in the middle of the night. The oil shops have closed. Why aren't, we aren't told why they were negligent. We're just told that they were. They ran out of the one thing that they needed to get into the wedding feast, the oil. Don't miss this. Because from the outside, all ten of these virgins looked identical. They were all dressed appropriately in their wedding garments. They all had their torches to carry to the wedding procession. But they weren't truly alike because five of them were ready and five were not. The foolish bridesmaids tried to borrow oil from the wise ones, but they couldn't. It's not because the wise ones were being selfish or hard-hearted, saying, I'm giving you any. No, they knew if they loaned them oil, first of all, nobody would make it because there wouldn't be enough oil to keep every lamp lit long enough in the house. But there's an even greater principle here because there are some things that you cannot borrow. You can borrow salt. You can borrow sugar. You can even borrow silver. But you cannot borrow salvation. Even though you're saved, you cannot become another person's savior. As much as you love your children, you can't save them. Even though you've received the grace of God, you can't impart the grace of God. I, I can give my life for you, but I can't give my life to you. These five foolish virgins never truly belonged to the wedding party. They managed to dress alike. They managed to act alike the true, the true bridesmaids, but now they've been exposed for what they truly were. They were just like the people Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he said, avoid such people. Remember this parable Jesus said in verse 1 is about the kingdom of heaven. And here's the point. You can be a church member without being a kingdom citizen. You can be a member of the church and yet not be a part of the kingdom of God. You can come to church and not be saved from your sins. It all depends on whether or not you have the oil of the Holy Spirit burning within you. Just going to take one minute to finish up. Be warned. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Remember, the door's already been shut. Reminds us of Noah's Ark. God was the one who shut the door. The bridegroom shuts the door. The door is shut. They say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch. So the parable's over there, and he tells everybody who's listening to it, watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. By the time those foolish bridemaids get there, is too late. The last five words of verse 10 will stop some people dead in their tracks. And the door was shut. What a reminiscent that is of Noah and the ark. The door 
is a door of exclusion and a door of inclusion. All who were inside were saved. Everybody who was outside was lost. And that's what he's saying about these foolish virgins. Those who were outside were lost. The question is, are we ready? I'm not asking you if you ever walked down the aisle of a church. I'm not asking if you ever joined a church. I'm not asking you, do you believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you've ever been baptized. I'm asking, are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? One day, it's all going to be revealed whether we were ready or not. Make sure that you're ready because no man knows when that day or that hour will come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessings and thank you for your word tonight. Father, I pray that as we have read through this parable and the rest of chapter 24, Father, that you will use this to enlighten us as we go through the remainder of the book of Revelation to help us to realize, Lord, the urgency of what we're reading about there and why it's so important that we need to be like those wise uh, brides who are those virgins who were ready when the bridegroom came. Father, I pray that, that you will help us to be ready to make sure that we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior first and foremost. But even if we already know Christ as our Lord and Savior, are we ready? Are we truly ready for him to come? Because is he going to say of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Lord, what a day that's going to be when everything is finally going to be revealed. And what we have tried to hide in the darkness of sin in this world will be revealed in the light of your truth. So help us, Lord, to make sure now that we're ready, that we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and that we're ready because we do know him and we've been faithful serving him till the day we draw our last dying breath or until the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes again. Lord, bless us and help us to keep your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us there online. Thank you for being here in person. Encourage you to be here this coming Sunday. Uh, we've got our fifth Sunday dinner coming up on Sunday morning right after the worship service. Church is providing chicken. We're just asking you to bring uh, the fixings to go with that and dessert to go with that. Uh, so come and join us for that. And not a lot that you have to bring there, but just come and bring some food there with that. And then uh, Sunday night, we have our fifth Sunday sing. Uh, so if you want to sing, see Brother Mike, see myself, let us know so we can make sure we get you on that schedule uh, of singing. We've already got some people lined up for that, but we can always squeeze some more uh, in. So please let us know that. And then in a couple of weeks, uh, the first Sunday of uh, August, uh, we have Mercy's Well, who's going to be coming back on Sunday morning, the first Sunday. Uh, they're going to be singing for the first part of the service there. I'll be preaching the second part. Uh, so I want to encourage you to be prepared and ready for that. Uh, but you have a blessed week. We'll see you this Sunday morning, 915 for Sunday school in person, 1030 for worship in person or online. You have a blessed week and we'll be praying for you. You pray for us and you have a safe week.